0: If we haven't met, my name is Dominic, uh, one of the pastor elders here. And like Chad said, we're in the middle of our Kingdom Family series, um, using Ephesians as our backdrop. Um, so we're in chapter 2 today, and we're going to be looking at Ephesians 2.20. Uh, we're using the NLT, the New Living Translation, for the rest of the Kingdom Family series, just FYI. So we'll be reading out of and I will be preaching out of the New Living Translation. So last week, if you were here, we looked at verse 19, the verse before our verse today. And Brian preached and killed it. Good job, Brian. Thank you. And uh, as he talked about us being the family, what that means, that we are uh, a family of God. And some of your translations use the word household there uh, instead of family. Well, Paul's going to build on this idea of household now in our verse right here. And so this week and next week, we're going to look at the idea that not only do we live in God's house, but we actually are God's house as we will see next week but today we're going to start at the ground level of this house of God literally at the ground level in Ephesians 2:20. it'll be up on the screen if you don't have a Bible he says together we are his house built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets and the cornerstone is Christ Jesus himself this is God's word for us today let's pray Thank you for your word. There is so much comfort. There's strength in your word. So we ask today, Lord, that you would strengthen us by your word. You would lead us as we we study this passage of scripture. We ask that you would tune us into your heart, God, and what. Your heart is in, in these words, your word. May I see you do it all for your glory and for our good, in Jesus' name, amen. So as you just saw in this passage here, there's, there's two main things. There's the word foundation in that first sentence, and then there's the cornerstone. And so that's really what I want to focus on today. We want to focus on the foundation, the cornerstone. Together we are as house, and what is the house built on? It is built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, and the cornerstone, who is Christ Jesus himself. First of all, the foundation. Just that first part. It says, together we are his house, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. I want to show you an image here. Um, this is kind of what Paul's talking about. The house is being built. We're going to talk about that in the coming uh, in, next week. And then there's the cornerstone, but then there is the foundation, which is the apostles and prophets, Paul says here. The foundation, which came out from the cornerstone, was oriented around and aligned with the cornerstone. The cornerstone first provides the reference point to all of the other foundation stones upon which the rest of the building is built. And it was certainly the case with the temple. The cornerstone though, provides the entire foundation for the whole building. Those stones, those foundation stones that come off of the cornerstone, Paul says, in the church, they are the apostles and they are the prophets. Now, there's a little bit of debate with theologians around if this means the apostles and the Old Testament prophets, or if this means, more literally translated, the apostles who prophesy. What it is not talking about is... Every single person in the body of Christ who has gifts of prophecy or who prophesies, those people do not speak words that now become the foundation for which the church is built on. However, the apostles and the prophets or the apostles who prophesy did speak words and did establish a foundation on which the church is built on. So he is either referring to apostles who prophesy or to the Old Testament prophets along with the New Testament apostles. To prophesy means to speak forth a specific word from God to a specific people at a specific time for a specific purpose, which is exactly what both the Old Testament prophets and the apostles did. They spoke forth the word, and then the word became scripture. The Old Testament prophets were people appointed and anointed by God to speak forth and help people look to the Messiah. And then the apostles... We're appointed, anointed by God during the life and after the life of Jesus to speak forth words that would point you back to Jesus. And that, those words that were spoken, the word that became scripture, that is the foundation. The word of God, spoken and written by the apostles and the prophets, is the foundation on which the church is built. Jesus Christ the cornerstone authorized both prophets and apostles to be witnesses of him and to write scripture in service to him. And the written word was authorized by him. Let me say it like this. The written word of God is authorized by the living word of God. And the written word of God is the revelation of the living word of God. Right? That's what, that's what John says in, first, uh, in John 1 when he says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then in verse 14 of John chapter 1, he says, And then the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory as the glory of the only begotten Son full of grace, and full of truth. Jesus, the living word. And as the representation of the foundation here, as being laid by the apostles and the prophets, it refers to them as proclaiming in written word and spoken word form that of the living word, Jesus. The apostles and the prophets are not the cornerstone, but rather they make known the cornerstone. Like the theologian Wayne Grudem says, the real laying of the foundation is the work of the divine power and love of God, which gave us Christ. It is the divine voice which proclaims, behold, I lay in Zion a foundation. But that work had to be declared by somebody. After all, if somebody doesn't preach then how will people ever hear the good news? And so it was this proclamation in the spoken and written word, a proclamation of the living word that then has become the foundation. The written word of God reveals to us the living word because the written word is only as strong as the God that it is written about So that means when we read scripture, when we study scripture, when we preach scripture, what we ought to be actually doing is looking for the living word in the written word. Let me say it again. When we read, study, preach scripture, we ought to be looking for the living word in the written word. Because we do not build our lives on the written word of God disconnected from relationship with the living word of God. Because you know what that is? That, that's just, uh, that's religion is what that is. It's exactly what the Pharisees and the Sadducees were doing. They had taken the word of God, disconnected it from relationship with God, and it had become religious. And we know what Jesus thought and said, felt about those religious leaders. Which means that the Bible is not just some best-selling book that we like grasp lifestyle principles from. The Bible shows us God. Let me say it like this: The Bible is designed to bring us into deeper and deeper revelation and relationship with God Himself. And you know, there's gonna be there's gonna be times in our lives when um, we're reading Scripture and we're like, "Yeah, but this is the foundation." I want to read the Scriptures. I want to read the Bible, and it just feels dry, and we feel like I don't I don't hear God. I'll tell you what: When you're reading the Bible and you don't hear God, keep reading the Bible until you hear God. Keep reading until stuff starts popping out off the page. God does want to reveal himself to you. God does want to speak to you, and he does want to do it through his word. I hear people all the time say, I just want to hear God speak, man. I just, I just, want, to hear, I just want to hear God speak to me. Why doesn't God just speak to me? He spoke to you. He already spoke to you. Open the Bible. He spoke to you already. You should not. If you're not willing to r- read and hear what he already said in his word, then you should not expect God to speak to you. If you are not hearing and listening to what is in his word, you should not expect God to speak to you. The living word, Jesus, is alive. And he is always speaking through his written word. Now, whether or not we open our ears or we open the Bible to hear what he's saying, that might be a different story. But when we distance ourselves from the the written word, what happens is we actually distance ourselves from the living word. Because even when God speaks in other ways outside of his written word, it's always going to just translate what he already said, who he already is, as defined in his written word. For instance, God does speak in ways outside of of the Bible, right? God speaks through things like uh, visions and dreams, and he 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 puts thoughts in our heads and he aligns our spirits with him and even sometimes audibly, right? God does speak to people, but even when he speaks like that, it will always come into alignment under the submission of his word. And so for those of us who are accustomed to and love hearing from God in ways, always even ways outside of scripture, you got to know the word of God because how do you know if what you're hearing isn't just your thoughts or some weird lie from the enemy or from the world or just somebody's weird philosophy if you don't know the word of God? Because the word of God is like the rule keeper. It's like when somebody speaks a prophetic word to me, I'm constantly like filtering it through all the scripture that I know. And I'm like, yep, that's the heart of God. Yep, that's the mind. of Okay, yes, the character. Yeah, that's that reminds me of this thing that God said there. Wait, that? Huh right you got to do that and if you're not in the word you don't know the word then you're not you're not building on any foundation you're just like on the sand and you don't know you got to be in the word people with prophetic gifts in here you got to be in the word of god to know when god's speaking to you if it's really lining up with this word and as it's really him but that foundation that we build on it is only as good as the cornerstone from which it is built The cornerstone is like the foundation of the foundation. And where there is no cornerstone, then there's no foundation. So we'll spend the rest of our time talking about the cornerstone. That was the foundation, the word of God spoken through the apostles and the prophets or the apostles who prophesy. Next, the cornerstone. We'll read it again, our verse today. Therefore, we are his house built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets and the cornerstone is Christ Jesus himself. And this is what was prophesied in the Old Testament through people like Zechariah and Isaiah. In Isaiah 21, the Lord wrote this through the prophet Isaiah. So this is what the Lord says. See, I lay a stone in Zion, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation and the one who believes in it will never be shaken the hebrew idea for believes there is to entrust oneself to or to lean heavily upon and see how Isaiah doesn't disconnect the cornerstone from the foundation. He says, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. And the one who believes in it will never be shaken. It's what Jesus spoke of when he said, don't build your house on the sand. Build your house on the rock. When you build your house on that sure foundation, even when the storms come, you're not going to be shaken. And when it comes to engineering, the entire structure is contingent on the cornerstone, on the sure foundation. And there is no part of the structure that is out of alignment with or not dependent on the foundation. No part of the structure even touches the earth. It all rests on the foundation, and the foundation rests on the earth. And no part of the structure is out of alignment or overhangs the foundation, but is firmly seated on the foundation Itself. And so making use of this engineering analogy of the, the Old Testament temple, Paul is writing here in our passage today, identifying Jesus as this cornerstone, as the foundation of the foundation. And what does he call it? We'll see next week that he calls us the temple. He says, this thing that's being built, it's the temple of God, which is crazy for a Jew to say that because the temple represented where God dwelt, And where the people came to worship. And he's saying, we are being built into a temple. And the the foundation, the starting point, the beginning of this whole thing, the thing that is set first in all of the construction, comes and builds around the beginning, the impetus of it, is Jesus Christ, the cornerstone. In fact, there is no meaningful foundation without the cornerstone. So I want to look at three specific things that a cornerstone establishes in a structure and therefore that Jesus establishes in his church. I'm going to ask you to repeat these after me. The cornerstone establishes a building's number one, meaning. Say meaning. Meaning. Number two, integrity. Say integrity. integrity. And number three, say form. The cornerstone establishes a building's meaning or its purpose, its integrity or its stability, and its form, what it will look like or its identity. So, first, as the cornerstone, Jesus establishes the meaning or the purpose of the church. And when I say church, I don't mean uh, local church, although that is certainly true, but the capital C church like his people, like you and me, Christian, are the church. Jesus establishes the meaning or the purpose of the church. The cornerstone when it would be laid would set the trajectory of every other part of the building, including what the building would be used for. And according to what the building's intended use was, that's the kind of cornerstone that would be chosen. For instance, were a building to have a regal use, a regal cornerstone would be chosen. Were a building to have a mundane use, then a mundane cornerstone would be chosen. And when we look at the church, Jesus is the cornerstone. And Jesus establishes this. It is Jesus who establishes the meaning and the purpose. Of the church. Everything is built from him. A building will kind of take its cues from the cornerstone. And in the same way, the church takes its cues from Jesus. Uh, You want to know what to do in the church as a Christian? You want to know where where to go, how to do it? We look to Jesus. How, How did Jesus live? What kind of stuff did Jesus do? How did Jesus treat people? How did Jesus work in relationship with his father? Why did Jesus do it? With what heart did Jesus do it? How did Jesus suffer? How was he victorious? Jesus is our cornerstone that we follow after. Jesus carried with him the kingdom of God. People say, well, where's the kingdom of God? It's wherever the king is reigning. Jesus is the king. And so he carried with him the kingdom of God. And now when we became his children... By his spirit, the king came to live inside of us, which means that now his power and his presence and his kingdom is in us wherever we go. We'll get deeper into that stuff when we look at the the next part of this kingdom series called the kingdom come part of this series. But Jesus establishes the meaning and the purpose of the church. What's the church about? What's my life about? Look at the life of Jesus. He sets the course. And not only does Jesus establish the meaning and the purpose of the church, but Jesus is the meaning and the purpose of all things in the church. Everything centers around Jesus and goes out from Jesus. I love how Paul talks about it in Colossians 1 where he says, Jesus existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. He made the things we can see and the things we can't. Everything we created was created through him and for him. He existed before anything else, and he holds all creation together. And he is also the head of the church, which is his body. To compare this to another analogy that we, um, or an image that we often use, the cornerstone is to a building what a circle's center is to the circle's circumference. Jesus is the center of the center. He is the center of the center. Everything orbits around him so that all of its movements and purposes are aligned with his. Physically, the cornerstone gave alignment to the rest of the structure's length, width, and height, all other elements of the temple, for instance, were set in reference to this stone, thus finding their proper meaning and place in reference to it i 'm going to put up this image again of the um, of like a temple or a structure that would be being built. Jesus is the cornerstone; he is the start he is the first stone laid, and he establishes All things in the church, in God's dwelling that is being built. So even when we gather as a local church, whether that's five people in a living room somewhere or 5,000 people in a big old room somewhere, we all come and we gather around the cornerstone. When we show up in, in corporate gatherings as the church, we don't gather around an idea. Guys, we don't gather around the name of Reality Ventura, we don't gather around somebody preaching. We don't even gather around the written word. We gather around the living word, who is Jesus. He is the beginning and the center of it all. Which is why, as a church, Reality of Ventura, we really do believe that the presence of God is literally the best thing that we have going for us. And that's not us being like, dang, we kind of suck at this thing. Well, at least we got the presence of God. That's not why we say that as a leadership team. We're like, hey, even when we're like kind of killing and stuff's going good and people are worshiping and people are getting saved and good doctrine is being taught and all that stuff. It's still like, yeah, but the best thing we got going for us is the presence of God. Because it's in the presence of God, a moment in his presence that can transform somebody's life. So Jesus establishes the meaning and the purpose. He is the source and the reason for all things in the church. Second, As the cornerstone, Jesus establishes the integrity or the stability of the church. Jesus establishes the integrity or the stability of the church. Like I said, the cornerstone is the first stone that is laid in the foundation. And it not only determines the meaning or the purpose for which the building is being built, but it also determines the strength, the integrity that the structure will have We often talk about the importance of building on a strong foundation. Don't build your house on the sand, right? Well, like I said, the cornerstone is the foundation of the foundation and establishes the the integrity of the entire dwelling. Weak cornerstone, weak structure. Strong cornerstone, strong structure. And in the church, there is a foundation that is laid of the word of God spoken and written by the apostles and prophets, but that foundation is only as good as the cornerstone from which it is built. The good news is only good news because it is news about Jesus who is good. The gospel is only powerful because of who it is about and who it is proclaiming which means the church is not built on the strength or ideas or ingenuity or talents or giftedness or faithful preaching of people or apostles or prophets. It is built on the one of whom they are proclaiming who is Jesus. And so when we say stuff like Jesus is the senior pastor, that's not us trying to be cute. We're not like we put together a search committee for a senior pastor and dude, everybody kind of came up like mediocre, but like we were like, what about Jesus? Like, Jesus kind of fits the bill, right? What if Jesus was the senior pastor? That wasn't some like cute thing we came up with. The Bible says Jesus is the chief shepherd. Another way to translate that is senior pastor. Jesus is the senior pastor of the church. Now, whether people in the local church leaders or Christians in general recognize that or not, that's a different story. But 2,000 years ago, Jesus was the first ever church planner. And started his church. And has been sustaining it for the last 2,000 years. And for thousands of years after we are gone, Jesus will still be sustaining his church. It is his... I am a pastor. I am not the pastor. That's Jesus. That's Jesus. One of the things that drives me most crazy in church culture is when, um, I have a long list, by the way, but one of them is when people s- refer to a, a church as so-and-so's church, like the name of the pastor's church, like the preaching pastor, or the lead pastor, or whatever. Like, oh, that's, oh yeah, that's so-and-so's church, right? That's, so, that's so-and-so's church. What drives me even more nuts is when the pastor himself is like, oh yeah, I got this, I got this congregation over here. Oh yeah, I got this church over here. Oh yeah, my church my church over, it's like, yo, dude, really? I mean, that's, that's not your church, bro. That's the Lord's church. I mean, I appreciate the sentiment and like the personal ownership and the commitment. I do, but there's a fine line between commitment and entitlement. The church is Jesus' church. I am a pastor, and my job as a pastor is to come alongside the pastor and partner with what he is already doing and continuing to do and just try not to screw it up. That's my job. See, if it's, if it's my congregation, then I'm going to do whatever the heck I want to do with it. But if it's his congregation, then I have to do whatever he wants to do with it, which is part of the reason why we have a, a, a model of team leadership as a church, while there are three of us who lead in plurality together, because we really just think like, dang, man, it's just what the scriptures say, though. It's just like Jesus is the head, and so, man, if we could pull that off, do that. Let's let Jesus be who he is, and it's a lot of work, and it's hard. It takes more time sometimes, and um, it might be frustrating for you, like, showing up. I don't know who's going to preach. That's all right. That's good for you. At least Jesus will be here. So we don't show up to uh, hear a good preacher or hear good sermons or Good ideas. And honestly, if we're showing up for so-and-so, I wouldn't call that church. I would call that Christian show business. Right? And if you want to be entertained by so-and-so, go to Edwards Cinema. Because Hollywood's going to do a heck of a lot better at entertaining people than some pastor could. Jesus is going to do a heck of a lot better at ministering to your life than some pastor could. There's not a preacher in the world that can transform you, friend. Ain't no preacher in the world that can set you free. There is not a pastor on earth that could speak words so powerful and so loving and so affirming that your identity begins to change. Only Jesus does that. Only Jesus can do that. We are a bunch of fallen, broken messed up, still trying to figure this thing out, people leading this church with Jesus. I don't have what you need. I can't give you what you need. That, that person who has that gift in the body of Christ that you always go to and receive from, that person on the prayer team that you always seek out and find, They can't do anything for you. All we can do is give you Jesus. And anything good you experience from anybody in the body of Christ is actually his power being manifest in them. And I'm sorry to disappoint you, but I am just as, if not way more screwed up than you are. All I got is Jesus. And and I'm not used by God because I've got it together. Honestly, I'm used by God because I don't. And I just, I know it. Just so happens that my gift in the body often requires me to have a microphone, but friends, don't mistake the person who holds the microphone for the person who holds the answers. Jesus holds the answers. Yeah. Say it like this, put up on the screen in conclusion here that you, not conclusion of the whole sermon, just conclusion of that little point. The church doesn't need you or me in all of our giftedness. The church needs Jesus in all of his power. And trust me, guys, this is actually how we want it. We don't want a church that is contingent on some person's giftedness or ability or personality. Because if a church can only succeed when that person is present, then a church will only fail when that person is absent. And I'm not saying that God can't use gatherings where everybody shows up to hear that person that rock star guy preach that I just don't think it's church I think it's Christian showbiz I think God can use Christian showbiz he full-on does use Christian showbiz all I'm saying is I just don't think it's church the church is contingent on Jesus we show up to church to find Jesus to hear Jesus, and yeah, he's going to use his people because we're the body, and he uses us as his hands and his feet and his mouthpieces, but we must never let somebody be on the throne, right? We, I, I'm standing up here. I don't even know why. Maybe next week I'm going to stand down there, but we put people on a platform. We can't do that in our hearts, though, right? We can't allow that to happen in our hearts. Let Jesus be enthroned. He is the one who is enthroned upon the praise of his people. I don't want your praise. Don't give me your praise. Give it to Jesus. Somebody does something good, don't give them your praise. Give the praise to Jesus. And if you get praise for doing something good, you take that praise and you say, thank you for that. You turn around and you say, Jesus, this was really yours. They didn't know it, but here you go, Lord. That was actually for you. Jesus is the whole point. And who establishes everything establishes the strength and the unity and the integrity of what the father is building in his dwelling place. Number three, as the cornerstone, Jesus establishes the form or the identity of the church. Jesus establishes the form or identity of the church. The cornerstone establishes the form, the look that the building will take on, the shape that the building will take on, is established by the cornerstone. How big it will get to be is established by the cornerstone. And what it will ultimately look like, it's identity. It's established and it starts with the cornerstone. And in the church, it is Jesus who establishes the shape, how big it will grow, and what it will look like, and who we are becoming. Paul wrote about it in Romans 8 when he said, For those God foreknew, he also predestined predestined to do what? To be conformed to the image of his son. Just like family starts with father, so the church has started with Jesus. And just like family starts with father, so the kingdom family starts with Father. And just like children take on the identity, not fully, but like at least characteristic wise, they get the genes from their parents. So God's kingdom kids get our spiritual genes from our king. And here's what's cool is you don't have to work to try to get to be like Jesus. As a kingdom kid, you just start conforming to his image. Like my kids don't get to choose that they got my genes even the way I look like sorry kids like you know you're probably okay with this but like all this you're, my kids are probably not that stoked with <laughs> I just I just said that huh it's in it's like ingrained in there they get it right they don't have to do anything for better or worse they don't get to choose And for better, not worse, for better, we are being conformed into the image of our God, right? We are being conformed into the image of our God. We don't have to work for it. We don't have to try. We are just being conformed into his image. This is not a command. This is something that has already been done, which means that if we are being conformed into his image and he is where we get our identity from as kingdom kids, then what people say to us, about us, or do to us is not where we get our identity from. And what we have done, our greatest successes and our greatest failures, is not where we get our identity from. None of that determines the trajectory of the kingdom, kids. Those things are not the cornerstone that establish what you are growing into or who you are. Jesus is the cornerstone and has set the course for you so we don't need to care what people say when jesus has already said something definitive about us and by the way it's good stuff about us he has already spoken which means that all of our circumstances as powerful as they may be do not determine where we will end up Our circumstances, the ones that show up in the form of an opportunity, do not define us. And our circumstances that show up in the form of suffering do not define us. Suffering was not intended to be what our identity is wrapped around. And your specific suffering was not intended to be who you were formed into. Suffering and circumstance is not the the banner that like waves over you as like, this is like your life. This is your plot in life. Jesus says, take down that thing. My banner over them is love, right? (laughs) That's what the Bible says. (laughs) Banner over you is love. And in his love, your heavenly father is conforming you to the image of his son. We are taking on the identity and the form of the cornerstone. Who is Jesus? I want to talk about suffering for a second because part of how God conforms us into the image of his son is through suffering. And while we are not defined by it, it is part of what God uses. Paul, again, in Romans 8 says, and since we are his children we are his heirs that's kind of sick right? okay yeah we're, we're inheriting things with Jesus in fact together with Christ we are heirs of God's glory somebody say amen, amen. that's where we want to stop this right and I, I imagine the, the the readers of this letter to the Roman church being like "Woo! God's glory we inherit with Jesus we're inheriting God's glory that's good but wait what there's a but If we are to share in his glory, this is where I think the tape slowed down. We must also share in his suffering. Wait, hold up. I like that glory part, though. Together with Christ, we're heirs of God's glory. But if we are to share in his glory, we must also share in his suffering. The rest of the building takes on the image and the form of the cornerstone from which it is built. Friends, our cornerstone suffered greatly. And I want to talk about this for a minute because I think sometimes when we think of suffering, we feel like it's coming against us as opposed to being something that is actually working for us. Sometimes I think we think of suffering as something to escape when maybe God intended it. To be something to embrace, and I know it's counterintuitive for us to lean in to hardship. But I, I just want to, I just want to speak into this for a few minutes. I think there's some people in here that are just going through it, and if you're not now, then you're just coming out of it. And if you're not now, you're about to go into it. We shouldn't count it strange when we fall into various fiery trials. Because this is part of the foundation that we are built on. You remember that image? It was the cornerstone apostles, prophets. Dang it. All of them suffered in some way. And that is the foundation that the church is built on. We are being conformed into the image of Christ. And suffering is part of how God is going to conform us into his image. Now, it is not the only way and the only thing that God uses to conform us into his image. But I believe that of all the tools in God's tool belt, the one that does the most work, the most effectively, and the quickest is God's tool of suffering in the life of his children. Paul wrote about it in Romans 5 when he said, we also exalt in tribulations. We celebrate, we smile in our tribulations. Why? Knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance. Oh, it's working something in us. And perseverance brings about proven character. Okay. And proven character eventually wells up in us. Eternal hope. Conforming to the image of the cornerstone means that we might suffer like he did. That's why James said, don't count it a strange thing when you fall into various trials. That's why Jesus said, in this life, you will have trouble. And if they hated me, they're going to hate you talking to this junior hire the other day and uh they were just like going through it man it was just heavy and had tears in their eyes and and they were like like god's all powerful right and i was like yeah he's all powerful and they were like but why doesn't he just stop it then it wasn't actually a junior higher; it was me and uh i'm just kidding it wasn't me But I do ask that question often. I'm like, yeah, Lord, why can't, why don't you just stop it? You're all powerful, right, Lord? Like, why don't you just stop it? But I've learned that in God's love, he often allows and sometimes even sends suffering in our lives. See, like any good father, our heavenly father is more concerned with who we are becoming than he is with insulating us from every hardship in our lives. We started changing the way that we prayed a few years ago, maybe twelve years ago, after we miscarried twins that God had told us we were going to have, and then we got pregnant with them and told everybody, and then we lost. We were like, "What the heck?" And it was really hard, and uh, we used to pray things like, "Lord, protect us from anything." harmful we'd say that funny thing we say put a hedge of protection by the way if you want to be protected from something a hedge is not the thing you want surrounding you maybe like a big wall or a fortified gate or something but not a hedge just that one's free (laughs) we stopped praying lord protect us from everything and uh, we started praying Lord, protect us from everything that is outside of your good and perfect loving will. Lord, if the devil's just sneaking some stuff through and you're not going to use it and it's for our, like, shame, protect us from that kind of stuff. But don't, I'm not asking you anymore, because he doesn't really listen, when I'm like, Lord, protect me from everything bad. He's like, you don't really know best, so sorry. So I just started, I figured I might as well start praying in line with his will, right? Like, protect. Me from everything that is outside of your good and perfect will, God. Because I know that the things you led through are not for my chagrin, they are for my good. But it's hard. You know, it's tiring, which is why the writer of Hebrews wrote to the people and said, I think that's what he said. He went, let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus. Think of all the hostility he endured from sinful people, and then you won't become weary and give up. Have you forgotten the encouraging words that God spoke to you as his children? Okay, he's about to say some encouraging words as a father to his children. Here's the encouraging words. My child, don't make light of the Lord's discipline. Dang, that's the encouraging word, huh? Don't make light of the Lord's discipline and don't give up when he corrects you. Yeah, it is encouraging. For the Lord disciplines those he loves. I am encouraged. And he chastises each one he accepts as his child. We often think about discipline in relationship to disobedience. But that's not what the writer of Hebrews is talking about. This is on the heels of him talking about the the hall of faith, all these awesome people who did all these wonderful things full of faith in God. That's not what he's talking about here. The word discipline here means to train or to educate. It's the same word used in Proverbs 22, and it's like uh, the same idea. Train up your children in the way that they should go. Now, does it hurt? Yes, sometimes the educating, the training of God hurts. Sometimes it feels like downright chastisement, which can be translated scourging. Sometimes it feels like scourging, but not all disobedience is in response. I'm sorry, not all discipline is in response to disobedience. Let me say this to you, friend. God is not punishing you if you are a child of God, blood bought by the blood of Jesus. He's not punishing you. He is disciplining you, teaching you because he loves you. God punished his firstborn son, for our wrongdoing because of our sins. He doesn't punish us. Now, there are consequences for our sins. And sometimes you might think it's God sending punishment, but that's cause and effect. That's just Newton's third law of motion or whatever it is. You do, you sin, you're going to have some consequences that come back on you. Sometimes, though, God is just building character, He's not punishing you. Sometimes he's just building character and hardship is the, the main tool that he's going to use to do the most work in building that character. Sometimes he's just making us more like himself. He is, if you will, putting his character into his disciples. Look at this word. Brian Buffin broke it down like this at our preaching meeting the other day. It was a Brian Buffen nug. Look at the word. disciple in. okay? God is putting his character in his disciple. That's what discipline is. Discipline is God putting himself in his disciple. Discipline is God putting his character into his disciple, his endurance into his disciple, his love into his disciple, And you are not alone. If you're right in the middle of it, you're not alone, friend. Jesus has walked this path before. When you feel the weight of the whole world crushing down on you, remember the one who was crushed for our transgressions. God is in the crushing, bringing out something beautiful. So when this junior hire asked me, hey, can't God just do something about it? Can't he just stop it? I was like, yeah, he can. But in my experience, he usually doesn't. And it's going to hurt. It's going to hurt like hell, man. But I believe that when it hurts like hell, God is actually producing in you heaven. Believe it or not, God is using the hellish pain of your life to birth in you a heavenly kingdom. Because there is no pure gold without the fiery furnace. There is no fruitful rose bloom without the dying of the seed in the valley of death and there is no diamond without the heavy pressure we are beloved children of God who he in his love is conforming us to be more like his son but his son is more pure than gold he is more fragrant than the rose and he is more precious than diamonds which means that yeah it might hurt a little bit when we're being conformed into that image You want an easy life? You're following the wrong king. (laughs) Because we are being formed into the image of a king who was born to die on a cross of suffering before he removed the sting of death. Which means that, yeah, if we're going to be made like him, we're going to experience a little bit of suffering because he's the one that we're following. The truth is, there is no olive oil without the crushing of the olive but you have been called for this purpose, First Peter says, since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps. In other words, he started this whole thing. He's the originator of this thing. And if we're going to be like him, then yeah, there's going to be some suffering involved. But we've got an example to follow after. Here it is. Who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. And while being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats. In other words, he did not try to escape his suffering but instead he kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously the only way through the fire is to look unto jesus who's already been through the fire and do what he did which was remembering that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed in us come on (laughs) let me end with this jesus Endured the cross because there was joy set before him. The suffering wasn't for the suffering, the suffering was for the joy. And, friends, your suffering is for your joy. You could be encouraged today that while you may be bearing a heavy cross, that it's not the end. The suffering of this life is a, is a passing. It's a breath. It's a. That's how long it is. That's how long the suffering of this life is on our way to the eternal glory. We are being conformed into the image of the cornerstone Jesus. But Jesus didn't come to just suffer. Jesus came to rise in victory. And our victory, our end is hope. Our end is glory. Our end is the same victory that Jesus had. The chief cornerstone did set the course, and part of that course is suffering. But yes, part of that course is eternal glory. For if we die with him, we shall also live with him. If we endure hardship, brothers and sisters, we will reign with him. If we suffer, then we shall be, we will be glorified. Yes, we live in a fallen world. But our suffering is not the end. And the results of this fallen world are not the end. And we are not alone because we have a high priest who has gone before us and who suffers even with us as we suffer with him. And it is not for your chagrin. It is for your glory. Which means that you don't have to come under the weight of whatever that circumstance or situation or sorrow is because Jesus didn't come under the weight of his situation and circumstance and sorrow. Yes, we follow a Savior who suffered on a cross, but he didn't stay on a cross, and the cross wasn't for his shame. It was for his victory, and your cross will be for your victory. The devil wants to use our suffering for our demise, but I'm here to tell you that God wants to use it for your victory. Don't let the devil use it for your demise. Don't let him have the best of you in the midst of your suffering. He wants to use it for your failure. God's saying, no, 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 this is for your freedom. This is not for your destruction. This is for your jubilation. This is for your freedom. And remember that when the devil wants to turn your mourning into sorrow, God intends to turn your mourning into dancing. Your cross doesn't have to defeat you, friend. My cross doesn't have to defeat me. You're in the darkest season of your life. You might as well be in a tomb, buried, dead, alone, cold. That doesn't have to be the end of your story in this season. Because your king didn't stay in his tomb, dead, cold, and alone. We do follow Jesus into the grave. We do. But we also follow him out of the grave and into the heavens. Where he is seated far above all principalities and powers and circumstances and situations and things that feel like hell and death and dying and loneliness and despair. He's high above it and that's where we are seated in victory with him. And Jesus, our cornerstone, establishes what we are taking on, the image we are taking on. And Jesus, our cornerstone, is victorious. Amen? Amen. Amen. Thank you, God, for the truth your word today, that we are built on the foundation of a cornerstone who didn't stay in a tomb, who didn't stay on a cross, who didn't crumble under the weight of this world. In fact, the cornerstone is set on top of the world. It sits on top of the earth. Thank you, Jesus, that you did not come under the weight of the earth. You sit on top of the earth as the cornerstone. And we get to just ride with you right there. Thank you, Lord. I pray for the person who is discouraged today, that they would find encouragement for their souls in the midst of whatever they're going through. That you would strengthen hearts today that you would teach us to take every thought captive to the obedience of Jesus and not let ourselves fall under the weight of whatever the heaviness is, but let the weight of the heaviness fall under you as you stand victorious over it. Friend, if you're going through it right now, um, I would encourage you during this second set to just sit in the presence of God and just kind of like soak up the goodness just like spiritually inhale all oh, the goodness of God allow yourself to sit in his presence there's healing there and strength in his presence the communion elements are up front as always this would be a good day to remember that Jesus his body was broken and his blood was shed And when it was, he took on all the punishment. He took on the weight so he could give us a light burden. Lord, make it true for us. Help us to walk in the truth of that. He took on the heavy burden, friends, to exchange our mourning for dancing, our weeping for joy, our heaviness. the prayer team is on the right and the left they're not your answer but they can bring you to the answer his name is Jesus they're here to pray for you in any way and would love to do that let's worship him